Hello, good to see everybody out tonight. Let's all stand up as we get ready to sing. Why do I sing about Jesus before Brother Ronnie comes? seated. Thank you for being out on this Wednesday evening, and uh, you're looking awful fresh for a Wednesday. I'm very proud of you. Looking good, especially Ray Bailey with his fresh haircut that he got today. All right, let's see. Continue to pray for David Owen, and uh, he's continuing to rehab and hopes to get out of uh, Lourdes soon, but pray for him. Miss Lynn. Uh, Bonnie Taylor's son, uh, Robert's in the hospital with COVID, really, really sick. He's kind of been up and down a lot the last few days, so I ask you to pray for, pray for him. Miss Glenda Gall, pray for Glenda. She went to the emergency room this afternoon, got something going on on her leg, so pray for Glenda. She's tougher in the pine knot. She's here, so pray for Glenda for sure. Uh, thank you, David. Uh, Tommy Knight, talked with Tommy uh, yesterday, and... Um, the doctor wants him to uh, stay away from uh, people for a bit and uh, so kind of do some quarantining, I guess you would say, and he's got an appointment uh, next week with a doctor in uh, Nashville, and uh, he, they're really encouraged about uh, his treatment and whatnot, so pray for Tommy. Um, Betty Ingram said that Vicki Rogers was in the ER, so pray for Vicki. She had some outpatient surgery this week on her hand. Uh, but she passed out this afternoon, so they're checking her out. So pray for Vicki, if you will. Uh, Melissa Ray, Melissa's going to have surgery this coming week, so pray for Melissa. Uh, she's, been having, she's had trouble with that surgery ever since she had surgery, and, and so they're going back and checking all that out, and uh, you pray for her. That's tough to go back and 
redo what they've already done. All right, so pray for her, if you will. Uh, pray for the family of Debbie Britt. Uh, Mr. Gail Britt passed away a couple of weeks ago, and this is his wife, and she passed away today. Uh, so you pray for that family, uh, the, the needs that they have there, and God give them uh, comfort and grace in these days for sure. Uh, let's see, Bonnie Calvert, Ray McCaplin's sister, going through cancer treatments and now having some other troubles with breathing and such. Pray for, pray for Bonnie, Raymond's sister. Uh, Brother Rick and Donna Walker, uh, Donna's David Haley's sister. Uh, Brother Rick is pastor down at Pilot Oak. Uh, both of them are very sick with, with COVID right now, so pray for them. Uh, David Haley has a niece, great niece, that has leukemia, so I uh, ask you to pray for her. We have uh, several in the community, even uh, among our church family who have COVID or have been around somebody with COVID or lived beside somebody with COVID or whatever, and uh, some of them are very sick, some of them are just uh, quarantining because they have to, but nonetheless, uh, pray for them, God give them a grace. Uh, let's see, Ms. Sherry Kopp had uh, outpatient surgery Monday, Tuesday, and doing well the last I heard, so pray for Sherry. Um, Gary Gibson's having shoulder surgery tomorrow at Lourdes, and uh, pray for that, and being uh, with his last name, the Gibsons aren't always too good at obeying doctor's orders afterwards, all right? And so uh, pray, pray for that, <laughs> that, that Gary would behave himself and get healed up from that. Uh, continue to pray for Debbie Bradley as she takes treatment. I give her grace and, and trying to work out some things with her job as well. I know that's uh, very, very important there. Uh, pray for Brother Glenn Copeland as I found out, I believe that he has cancer, going to be following up uh, with the doctor soon on that. Uh, let's see, this Friday, in two days, Friday, Thursday, Friday, is Senior Commodity Day at the food pantry, and so they could use some extra help there uh, to hand out at the food pantry, show up about 7.30, and maybe you can get wrapped up about 10, 10.30, something like that, but they need a little bit of help on Friday uh, at the food pantry. Kids camp. If you are a, a parent or volunteer and didn't make the meeting Sunday, they're having another meeting this week on Sunday afternoon, 2 to 4, in the upper room. So if you're a parent or a volunteer, 2 to 4 in the upper room. Uh, Awana kickoff and registration is Sunday afternoon from 4 to 5.45. So this, afternoon, this Sunday afternoon, Awana registration uh, from two to sixth grade, from two-year-old to sixth grade. And so uh, that will start up Awana September the 12th, September the 12th. So uh, that's just right around the corner. And let's see, senior adults have a Lambert's trip scheduled for Tuesday, September 21st. So you're a month out from that, headed to Lambert's. Uh, so that's always a good time there. And let's see. On September the 8th, on Wednesday night, September the 8th, uh, we're going to have a six-week course, Growing in Christ. Um, Brother Bill Ingram is going to lead that class on Wednesday evenings, Growing in Christ, six weeks. Uh, it covers a variety of topics, just foundational things uh, in your Christian walk. I would encourage you to be a part of that, all right? And if, if all of you go, then I'll go too, I guess. But... Uh, I would encourage you to be a part of growing in Christ. Some great foundational things. And you say, well, I've been a Christian for 40 years. Well, you might need a refresher on these things. Or there's, there's not a one of us who uh, are at the place in our life that we st still shouldn't be growing. We need to be growing wherever we are. Uh, we need to be growing. And I'm looking forward uh, to what God does in and through that. But start, we need to start our sign up for that. And uh, we'll get a, have some things in Sunday's bulletin, uh, but that'll be starting September the 8th. And a little reminder that ladies' retreat applications are now, now available at the Welcome Center. And I know that about a hundred of the ladies were able to get together uh, last night, had a great time together there, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful that you are able to do that and have some time of fellowship. And I hear my sister-in-law did a great job in what she had to say 
uh, as well. So um, those are some things that you need to have on your radar of what's going on. Uh, again, uh, thank you for all you do uh, to make, make everything happen. Uh, as we talked about Sunday, Saturday night, the Travis uh, Cottrell concert was a great time together. And all that's possible because you guys put the hard work in, especially the choir, to make that happen. Monday night, uh, we hosted a Kentucky Baptist Convention event that went over great, had a great turnout uh, from across our region. And uh, the uh, Kentucky Baptist people are just very appreciative and uh, complimented uh, how that things went over. So we're thankful for all that you do. Uh, each and every week. So let's have a word of prayer tonight and we will uh, continue on our service. It's good to see you. Father, I love you. Thank you for this good day. Thank you for everyone who's out tonight. And God, I pray that you bless our time together. And God, I know that you, uh, you choose to speak to individuals, God. Uh, Lord, that's how your spirit works. So tonight I pray that you'd individually speak to my heart. God, individually speak to our hearts, Lord, as we open up your word uh, we've m mentioned many people who have a lot of different needs in their life. And God, I pray you'd minister to help and healing to them. And uh, God, you've given us uh, doctors and medicine and nurses and all these things. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're our healer. You're our sustainer. And Father, so we call on you to do those things that we can't do. And Lord, tonight we pray for Brother Nathan and kids as they meet. Lord, minister to their lives. Lord God, there's, there's kids over there tonight that are uh, searching for significance in their own lives, searching for meaning. God, searching for friendships. God, there's children over there tonight who need a Savior. And God, I pray that you draw them to yourself. And Father, even in this place, there's adults searching for those same things. So God, do your work, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I ask you to stand up with us one more time as we sing Jesus Messiah before Brother Ronnie brings our message. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed As you turn your Bibles with me tonight to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Gospel of Mark, chapter number 14. And we're going to start a reading tonight in verse number 10. And I believe uh, that I had in the bulletin this week that was going to go through 16, but I made uh, the executive decision to go through verse 21. 
I'll go through verse 21 tonight, and I might, and I might regret it next week. I'm not, I'm not for sure. But anyhow, we'll pay for that next week, I guess. But tonight we're going to be looking at 10 uh, through 21, the Gospel of Mark. The bargain betrayal. The bargain betrayal. Let's look at verse 10. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And the first day of unleavened bread, and when they had killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, where wilt thou that we would go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye unto the city, and there shall ye meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Let's pray together. Father, we come asking your blessing upon the reading, the preaching of your word. God, give us uh, spiritual ears to hear tonight. I pray for all about us preaching the gospel faithfully tonight. God, bless your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, as we look in these few verses together, there's three things that I want us to think about. First of all, we see the promised payment, the promised payment then secondly, in verse 12 through 16, we see the Passover prepared, the Passover prepared. And then 17 through 21, the predicted person. Those three things as we go through this text. As we come to chapter 14, that we are so very, <clears throat> very close uh, to Calvary, uh, that these uh, first few verses are a little bit of a, a snapshot, maybe a little bit of a rewind, but then by the end of this that we are into verse number, verse number, day number, day number, day Thursday, Woo! day Thursday, all right, by the time we get to the end uh, of our reading. So uh, we are just one day away, one day away from Calvary, and so we are some very, very crucial uh, point. Uh, in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in verse 10 and 11, uh, just look at the promised payment. Can I get us, get us together on this? Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So we are introduced here to Judas Iscariot. Uh, I don't know about you, but in, in, my, in my personal theology, that Judas Iscariot just really blows my mind. He, he really does. I, I don't know what to do with him and that I cannot comprehend for the life of me how that someone could walk and, and, and eat with and, and sleep with and all the just be right with on 24 hours a day for three years and reject the Son of God. I can't get my mind around that. But yet we see that uh, Judas, that he is starting to put uh, a plan into action. Uh, the Bible is very clear. Uh, 
See, I think if it wasn't so clear, we might say, well, this is, must be some other Judas. This can't, this can't be this Judas, but the Bible is very clear. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. And it, and it highlights the fact that this is him, the one that you don't think, the one that you can't imagine, that this is him. And it, and it really brings to, to light uh, how atrocious this is, that he is one of the twelve, that for three years he had been with him day in and day out with miracles, with him powerfully teaching the scripture with him, demonstrating the love of God the Father like no one else ever has or ever will, and yet that he continued to deny Jesus Christ. Now, I am amazed, and I'm not in a good way, but I am amazed how that people can hear the good news of the gospel, how that people can hear the grand story of Christ and his love, his death, his powerful resurrection, how that we can hear that over and over and over again and continue to reject the love of the Savior. But we see that Judas, he loved money more than he loved the Messiah. He had something else that was his God. And for everybody who rejects the Messiah, that they have another God that they love more than the Lord Jesus. Book 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, you'll know it. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Have you ever made that connection to Judas? That because of his love of money, that it trumped his love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he erred from the faith and pierced himself through with many sorrows. And so in hindsight, uh, we connect the dots with Judas. In hindsight, that we, we, we see that when he was talking about uh, Mary's extravagant gift and how uh, he said, why in the world did you do that? All the poor people that could have been helped. You see that he didn't say that out of pure motive. He said that out of a very selfish desire, a selfish motive, because he had his hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. You know, it becomes clear throughout the remainder of this text and the other gospel text that even the other 11 disciples, they had no clue who Judas really was. Isn't that frightening? That you think that you know somebody and you really don't know their heart? See, nobody knows your heart but you. And I, and I would dare say that we don't even know our hearts all that well, do we? I believe the Bible teaches us that. And so here that he had faked it well, he fit right in, and I think that we would have to say that Judas, that in the position that he had among them, that he was taking care of the money bag, even though they never had much, still, that you would only put your most trusted in that position, right? And so they trusted him. Not only did they not have something against him, they trusted him. But he wasn't who they thought. You see that in verse 11, well, let's say that he went in 10, he went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. This, this, this was, their, their day was made. This is going to be great. One of the twelve. That he's going to come and he's going to hand him over to us. Matthew 26 tells us that they agreed upon 30 pieces of silver. And I told you last week that uh, I had uh, heard or read that 30 pieces of silver was half the value 
of this box of alabaster box of spikenard for half the price that he sold the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 32, in the law there, it says that a slave, if, a, if, if your ox, if your ox came and uh, like gored a slave and maimed a slave or whatever, that that slave and he died, like he was worth 30 pieces of silver. That's what he was worth. And so in this, in this picture, we see that the master was sold for the price of a slave. What a very uh, telling Telling analogy, I think we would say. So he went to these chief priests. Most scholars would say that this probably, verse 10 and 11, this prob- verse 10 and 11 probably happened just immediately after Bethany. That he went, he went directly to them, that he was put out with Jesus. And that he found them, and they had a plan, and they made a deal. It was something that he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Luke 22, 6 says that he proposed that they do it in the absence of a multitude. Convenient means secretly. Secretly. We're going to make a big deal out of it. Judas had planned it all out. He thought he knew exactly how he could do this. And I believe that Satan gave him plenty of words and thoughts and such as that. But you know, this devilish deed, as you and I would think it to be, this devilish deed that God used it to accomplish his most perfect thing ever, the plan of salvation. His beautiful, his wonderful plan of salvation. Psalm 41.9, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I've trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. His very own friend, that this wasn't just an average Joe, but this was his very own friend, his close companion, Look in 12 through 16, the Passover is prepared. The first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and said unto them, Go ye into the city, there you shall meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And so now, starting in verse 12 here, that we find ourselves probably early on Thursday as his disciples are in anticipation of the Passover. They're wanting to know what the plan is. Now, a few uh, commentators make a big point, and I think it's worth us noting tonight, of the secrecy I guess you would say the secrecy that is involved around the planning of this Passover meal their point being this is that Jesus kept the details of the Passover to himself he didn't unveil it to all 12 disciples he didn't want to reveal to Judas Iscariot probably what was going on so that he would somehow throw a kink in what was going on now we can you know we can talk about you know well if you know if it was God's plan wasn't nothing gonna this and that but you see that the wisdom of God the wisdom of Lord Jesus Christ that he kept those things a secret unto himself so that he would not uh, have the opportunity Uh, to make arrangements and come in during the Passover. The Passover, when Jesus was teaching 
some very important things. When he was washing their feet, when he was transforming the Passover into the Lord's Supper, when he was talking about this new covenant that was going to be established, none of that could be thwarted by the plans of Satan, just by the wisdom of God in and through it all. And, you know, sometimes... if we're not careful, we'll read right through stuff like that and never grow to appreciate the wisdom of God and what he does and how he preserves his plan and how he carries it out. And so, as we see that, in just a little quick reference here, in verse 10, he went into the chief priest. He said there was two of them. You know, really, there's really kind of just one of them, but there's Annas and Caiaphas. Both of them kind of served together there. And so he didn't want, they didn't want those two to have the opportunity uh, to bring him into arrest before the Passover meal was completed and that Jesus had given them uh, their final instruction, so to speak. Now, we see in 13 that he just sends forth two of his disciples. The Gospel of Luke tells us that that is Peter and John. Peter and John. There's two, two that, uh, that obviously that Christ knew uh, would be the two that would, could handle this and would do this. And they would know beforehand. They would, get, uh, they would do exactly what he told them to do. And they would get the job <clears throat> done. And then the remaining disciples, including Judas that he and they would not know where they were to go until the very moment of. And so Judas would not have an opportunity to go to Annas and Caiaphas and to, to disrupt and to arrest Jesus during uh, this Passover meal. Now he goes on to say that, And there you shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. <clears throat> now with with us not being that accustomed uh, to the way they did things and what their customs were in that time, we may think that's a little bit of a strange sign or signal, uh, but not so uh, in that time because that, that was really a, a woman's job. And so, you know, when a chauvinist like me uses the term woman's work, that's biblical, all right? It's biblical. That's a joke, people. That's a joke, okay? Oh, me. That was what the women did. That's what the women did. Now, here we see that it was a man, and so we know that that was a servant. It wasn't the man of the house that did that. It was a servant, that, so that was going to be a little bit even unusual, even, the, even for them in that way. But it was going to be clear, it was going to be uh, distinct. And then they would go to what King, King Jane calls the goodman of the house, or the owner, or the, the, the master of the house there. And so uh, he was to tell them, and... Uh, says, where's the guest chamber where we shall eat the Passover? So there was this person, all right, this, this person uh, was going to have it prepared, is what 15 says, was going to have it furnished, all these things. And so maybe this is uh, too obvious, but I, I want to make sure that you and I, that we understand that this room and that these items are not just going to be in that room all the time. They're not going to be prepared all of the time. This was a process. The, the sacrificial lamb would have had to have been taken to the temple. It would have been sacrificed. Part of that would be uh, used to be brought back to the house and that they would eat on that in that Passover meal. So this didn't just happen like this. This took time for this to take place. They would have, they would have uh, their, their wine there. They would have the unleavened bread 
uh, that would be there, those bitter herbs, all these things would have to be brought in in preparation for uh, this time of the Passover. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. You know, some people say, well, Jesus must have already prepared someone letting them know that this was going to take place. And I can't deny that. He very well might have. But I would suggest to you that Jesus would not have necessarily had to have prearranged anything. I believe that we have a God that very well may have prepared and spoken to somebody's heart. You get this ready, and they just walked in faith. I don't know. All right? We, we don't know. We don't know those answers. But, but in, my, in my mind, in my mind and in my heart, I, I feel like it was more of a supernatural thing than it was a planned out thing, but I can't prove that. All right, That's just, that's just what I would tend to, um, tend to believe on that. All right. Now, uh, a quick note about this, and, and I don't know if you've given any thought to this, uh, yet or not, uh, but there's there's a lot of discussion about when all this actually takes place. All right, now uh, because I'm I'm kind of leaning toward that this was my, was probably Thursday. All right, this is probably uh, Thursday afternoon when this is when this is taking place. Uh, but you see, Jesus that he is observing the Passover what appears to be one day before the Jewish leaders observed the Passover. And as we study the cross, we know that we, we preach and teach that Jesus died on the cross the same time as the sacrifice in the afternoon and that he perfectly correlates with the Passover lamb so how does Jesus participating in the Passover the day before, how does that align with it happening on Friday if Jesus did it on Thursday? All right? And so there's a lot of discussion about that, and I don't know that I know all the answers to that, but uh, one explanation that seems to be uh, very, very feasible, if you're uh, interested in that, is that the Galileans in the region of Galilee, which Jesus and all of the, the disciples except for Judas was from the area of Galilee, okay? That they, uh, they recognized the Passover running from sunrise Thursday to sunrise on Friday, all right? That's the Galileans. That's how they observed it. That's where Jesus... And all of his disciples were from. Now the Jewish leaders in and around Jerusalem, they observed it from sundown to sundown. All right? So instead of from sunrise to sunrise, they observed it from sundown to sundown. And so Jesus and his little Galilean buddies there, they, they observed it on that Thursday evening. But when we get into, because that's who they were, that's how they grew up, that was their customs, and that's, what they, that's how they did it. But when you get into Jerusalem, they're in Jerusalem. They're among the Jewish leaders who lived and breathed in Jerusalem. They observed it on Friday, um, from sundown to sundown. And so uh, that, that's kind of some explanation, and I don't know if that is 100% the explanation of that, but that is an explanation of why you see Jesus observing the Passover on Thursday. And then those in Jerusalem, who were that was their thing, Jerusalem was their, their place, that they observed it on Friday. Now, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't fist fight you over that for sure. But I believe that's an explanation that is, that's feasible and that would help us uh, understand, understand that. So... Uh, those things are prepared. Jesus is prepared. And um, here, here it comes. Let's look at 17 through 21, uh, the predicted person. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. 
And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth of me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful. And they said to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? I want to talk about the predicted person for just a second. Now, we see that Jesus clearly, plainly states that one of them shall, say, one of you shall betray me. Or betray simply means to hand over. It's what it literally means to hand over. Now, Jesus has been clear that there have been times throughout his ministry that he has spoken of his death. But only here now does he uh, reveal that it is going to be through an act of betrayal. And so this, 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 setting, this setting, it really highlights the, the treachery uh, and the devastation of this moment in that they are gathered for the Passover meal. And this, this, in this custom and in this uh, way of doing things, that sharing a meal, that it was about as intimate as a thing that you could do with somebody. And, you know, that's still an intimate thing, that you do that with people that you, you love and you care for and you appreciate. And so this is in the setting that they were with each other, they loved and cared for. It was almost, a, it's generally going to be a family setting. I talked about that at our last uh, Lord's Supper, that it was generally going to be a family setting. And so this is a family setting. And so it highlights and shows how terrible how terrible this betrayal uh, really is. It makes it even more despicable when we think about it in that light, okay? And so <clears throat> now they're questioning themselves. They, they, don't, they don't know. They, they said, man, we don't even know. Is it going to be me? They don't know their heart, obviously. They, they admit that. And so in verse 20, uh, he says, it's one of the 12 that dippeth with me in the dish That, you know, you were, you were sharing dishes and stuff like that and dipping with other people. John 13, 26. It's not, he even makes it more clear when Jesus said, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I've dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot. Made it very clear. Wasn't any question who it was. I was reading, and I learned that this, this dip, there's some sort of saucy dip that was made of raisins and dates and vinegar, and they would dip that unleavened bread in that raisin, date, vinegar. Kim, you might want to try this at Cracker Barrel sometime. Uh, raisin, date, vinegar sauce, and they would dip it and uh, the, the host would do that and give it maybe to their honored guest. And the picture that in normal circumstances that host was giving it to his honored guest. And in this situation, he gave it to the very one that betrayed him. Boy, don't you know that was a moment. When Judas felt the weight of that moment, and so did the rest of those disciples. They knew it was Judas. It was plain now. The Son of Man, 21, indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Just as the psalm, psalmist predicted, just as Isaiah predicted, the Word of God had predicted this. It wasn't chance. It wasn't bad, some bad mistake, a bad decision. No. It was predicted by the Word of God hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand. You know what Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. It says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according 
to the Scriptures. That we are reminded, whether it be of the Gospels, by what Jesus had to say, or, by, or be it in the letters of, from one like Paul the Apostle, that the death of Christ was no accident. Remember that. It was no accident. It's the plan of God that He must die. He must die for me and you. I think we see some things answered here for us. Sometimes people, they ask, well, what about the destiny? The destiny of Judas. It says, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. I, I believe with, with all my heart that, that Judas was a lost man. There's no, no doubt in my mind about that. But I know that there are those, and maybe you, that you've, you question that. How, you know, he, surely, you know, surely he just got off you know, on the bad road or whatever. But I believe, you know, this, this word woe, really this is a pronouncement of judgment. It's, you know, this isn't just you know, poor, pitiful Judas. This is a pronouncement of judgment. It's the seriousness of what took place in his life. Uh, turn over to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 17. John 17 and verse 12. John 17 and verse 12. I think this, to me, this is probably the uh, most definitive statement about Judas and his eternal destiny. Jesus speaking, while I was with them in the world I kept them in thy name those that thou gavest me I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled that I believe there the direct reference to Judas himself that he that he was one that was lost and that he was not simply sidetracked he didn't make a bad decision his ultimate bad decision was that he rejected Christ that he was put in the perfect opportunity to make Christ his Lord but you know what Judas's story is a lot of people's story that God gives them Reason after reason, opportunity after opportunity to respond to him. And yet, even though the evidence is obvious, even though that he loves them and they, they feel the, the grace of God in their life, yet they continue to reject him. And just like Judas, there's going to be a lot of people that leave this walk of life unprepared for eternity. They've rejected Christ. Never been born again. And they'll go out into eternity separated from God forever and ever and ever. Even though they've been exposed to the love of God. Even though they've been exposed to the best that heaven had. Rejected Christ. We're marching to Calvary. We'll be there soon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. And I pray you'd just bless your word. And God, that it would soak into our hearts. God, I pray for someone here tonight who may have never been born again. Oh God, Lord, your word would captivate them. God, your spirit would draw them. God, your love. Your love, God, would be more than they could say no to anymore. God, thank you for a word such as this and reminding us that Calvary was ordained of God. Lord, this wasn't an accident, but it was your plan to save sinners like me. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight as we pray, I want to invite you, anybody who can, that you come to the altar tonight if you can.
If you can, I understand that too. But if you can at all, come to the altar tonight. So we come, Brother David Haley is going to open up our prayer, and then Brother Bill Ingram is going to dismiss, our pr- dismiss us in prayer. Tonight I want you uh, to remember those who are in Afghanistan. Man, what a mess. You know, we can, we can talk about politics all we want, but that, that doesn't do us any good at this point, does it? We got people over there that are going to be dying. We got believers over there that are in harm's way. And uh, we, we, as fellow Christians, we need to pray for them. That God would just work in a, in a great way over there and pour out grace upon grace upon those people. On Wednesday evenings, we're praying because we're praying for revival. For God to do a great work in this land. And so, tonight, let's pour our hearts out to the Lord.